The title of today's message is What is Truth and Why Does It Matter? What is truth and why does it matter? An important word for us in our culture today. An important, tr- an important word for us in our faith journey with Jesus. To understand that truth exists, that it's a real thing, and that when we have surrendered our life to the truth of Jesus, it is something that is foundational and concrete and cannot be moved. It's a parable that actually Jesus taught that maybe you've heard in Sunday school or even in school before, the parable of the foolish man who built his house on the sand. We live in Florida. We know you don't build houses out on the beach because that that hurricane season will wash that thing away. But the wise man built his house upon the rock because the storms may come and the waves may come and the wind may come. But it's not, the house not being knocked down because of the foundation. It's kind of stolen by the nursery rhyme of the three little pigs, right? Like the, the brick, you can huff and puff, you ain't blowing this house down, wolf. And that's what I want for you today. It's honestly the invitation, is for you to build your house, which is your life, on the rock of the word of Jesus, with the brick of the life and foundational truths that he has for you and me. You remember in school when you had true or false questions? I hated those questions, right? Because they seemed like, It was easy, 50-50 chance, right? But I am kind of a creature of habit and a creature of pattern. I remember I was in seventh grade in my science class. My teacher, man, he loved to play little tricks on us like this. We had a a big midterm or final exam one time, and I remember there were five true or false questions on it. And I was going through them. The first four were pretty easy, but the, the fifth one I had a big you know, question on whether or not, you ever have that question on a test where you're just staring at it and the answer just isn't coming? You're like, please, what's the answer? Remind me, and you just can't get it. Well, that was what was going on. But I looked at the true or false section of question one through four and it was true, 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 true. And in my mind, I was like, surely he would just made it easy and made them all five true. And I was like, I'll just go with that. And I was and wrong and I was so mad and he said even later I, I did that on purpose to let you know that you always got to lean into each specific question and I was like teacher I'm not ready for that in this test can you just make it easy for us we got enough stress as it is as a seventh grader middle school or going through puberty all this stuff just make it easy for us right but true and false can add a lot of stress because we can be divided in different things. If I were to ask you some questions that are true or false, it may even divide us here in this place. Like think about it this way. Like tell me, raise your hand if you think this statement is true or false. The Bible is the most shoplifted book of all time. How many think that's true? Who thinks that's true? How many think that's false? Okay, how many are like, I haven't raised my hand because I'm, t- no, no, come on, come on, everybody. All right, let's, well, I'll, let's, I'll give you an intro there, but that is actually true. The Bible is the most shoplifted book at all of all time, which means to me, there must be some good in there because you don't shoplift something that's not worth it. And I think God would be like, you know, of all books, it's okay. It's okay, you can take that one. You can take that one. But even that moment, there were some hands that were raised, some hands that were raised for true, for false. We don't know until you're given the definitive answer. And we're gonna lean into that today. We're gonna lean into that truth exists. We're gonna lean into that truth is real. Because here's what Jesus says about it. In John chapter eight, starting in verse 31, he says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's my goal for you today, is that number one, you would again be reminded of or encouraged or simply would know for the first time the truth 
and the truth will set you free. Jesus doesn't say, and a truth that you're comfortable with, or a truth that makes sense, or even a truth that you agree with. He says, you will know the truth, definitive and specific. And it's that the truth that will set you free. Because here's something I want you to write down today. If you're not taking notes, I don't know why I write this down because you're gonna need this tomorrow. What you believe determines how you behave. What you believe determines how you behave. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I was mentoring and discipling a young man and we went out to lunch at you know a great spot for middle schoolers back in the day and that was, we went to Sonny's Barbecue. We had a great lunch and it was awesome. And I remember I was taking him home after the lunch and when I, were, I was pulling out onto traffic, I had to get across four lanes of traffic to make a quick U-turn. And if you've ever been in a rush, ever wanting to get out of a meeting into the next thing that you had to do, you realize that sometimes you're not paying attention to everything. And I remember I saw that on the left side, all the lanes were clear. And so I just gunned it to get across to make the turn lane. What I never did was look to my right as what was in front of me. And right out of the, end, the exit to Sunny's was a bus stop. And I ran right into the back of a city bus. And all the airbags in the car go off, uh, uh, total panic. If you've ever been in a car where the airbags go off, I would encourage you to never do it uh, because it's not fun. It's kind of like a mini explosion, like right in front of your face. Your arm hair gets burned off. There's like powder all over and it really knocks you out for like a split second. And I remember when I came to, number one, I was like, why are my arms burning? What just happened? I was getting across traffic. Why is there a bus in front of me now? And then I looked over uh, and I looked on my arms and I had this brown liquid all over me. So in my mind, I'm panicking. I'm like, ah, it's gas. We're going to die. This car is going to blow up. We got to get out of here. And I looked to the student next to me, the young guy that I was discipling. And in his hand was just one last exploded remnant of his styrofoam cup of Sonny's sweet tea that had exploded all over the car. So in that moment, I took a deep breath and realized, oh, it's not gas. It's just sweet tea. Okay, we're all right. We're not going to blow up with that. But in that moment, it affected how I was behaving because I believed it was something that it wasn't. See, I want you to be led by the truth of Jesus today. There's a follower of Jesus who is described as a man after God's own heart, King David. And in chapter, in, in chapter 25 of the book of Psalms, he says this, lead me by your truth and teach me for you are the God who saves me. All day long, I put my hope in you. I love that it says, lead me by your truth. I love that our God is a loving God, but it doesn't say lead me by your love. I love that our, our God is filled with hope that overflows into our lives, but it doesn't say lead me by your hope. Jesus is the ultimate servant and selfless God who's laid his life down for us, but it doesn't say lead us by your service. It says lead us by one thing. Lead us by your truth, God, and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. So all day long, I put my hope in you. And I pray today we would be led by the truth of God a little more. I pray today we would be led by the word of Jesus and by the capital T truth that he has for you and me. And here's the last statement I'll give you before we pray and jump into the heart of the message. Discovering and living truth matters more than anything else. If it's your first time in church in a while, or maybe you've never heard about the truth of Jesus, I want you to discover it for yourself today. Simply pray this morning, God, speak to me if you're real, if you're here. 
But for those of us who have discovered it and are following Jesus, I want you to begin to depend on it even more and to live that truth because it matters more than anything else. Would you pray with me today? Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for our conversation this morning. I'm thankful for every single person here. It's no accident that they're here. God, I'm thankful that even in moments where we're afraid of something that isn't real, you comfort us. And God, I pray for all of our kids in local city kids today. I pray that you would help them have so much fun to enjoy church and most importantly, realize that Jesus is their very best friend who loves them so much. And God, I pray that we would listen, we would lean in, and we would open our hearts today. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, we all say, come on, give me a good amen today. Let's get ready. And would you get ready one more time just to clap your hands and give a shout for everybody that's watching for Church Online today. Come on, give them a shout so they can hear you. So glad that you're with us. Whether you're watching right now or you're watching this week, you're a part of our church too. We love you. We had a big win last week where a lot of great life-giving conversation was going on in the comments section of our church live stream. And so thank you for everyone who makes that happen. I was thinking about this concept of truth and how truth can really help somebody out. How truth can really make a difference on someone's experience of life and of an event. Now, again, I talked to you about the home team earlier. And our home team, there's a specific group of guys and girls that get up. They're the first ones here and the last ones to leave. They're called the dominators because they dominate every Sunday to set this whole thing up, to drive our big truck, to unload the boxes and crates and rolling carts and all that stuff in the hot sun. They do all that to make church happen. And we want to honor them and celebrate them. We do that about once or twice a year. And in the fall of last year, we took them axe throwing. We were like, this is awesome. Come on, let's dominate a little axe throwing together. And it was super fun for everybody but me in the very beginning because I was not very good at it. And I'm pretty competitive. And so when I'm not good at something, it's very frustrating. And so they'd, be, they'd say, okay, Pastor Ryan, it's your turn. I'd walk up to the line, get the axe, be like, all right, this is the time. And I would throw it and just bloop, on the ground. I'd be so mad. I'd be like, man, it's so cool. There's nothing more manly than being able to throw an ax and stick it in some wood on the wall, which is why these things are popping up all over the place. I was excited, but I was very frustrated. And you know, the owner and the coaches they have there would come over and try, hey, try this, try that. I'd be like, it's not working, man. Okay. I'm just doomed to be terrible at this. But then I thought to myself, okay, Ryan, don't give up. You can't do that. You're the pastor. You can't have a bad attitude. You know, you got to be excited, you know, not get disappointed. I'm like, okay, okay, all right. Good self-talk, good self-preaching right there. And so I said, I'll just try a couple different things. So at one point, there was this, there's this line on the ground that you can't go in front of. Like, well, maybe it's just a distance thing, the rotation's off or whatever. So I'll just take a little bit of a step back. And I tried that. And the first time after that, I was like, whoop, boing, like right in the wall, right in the target. I was like, oh, yeah. All right, feeling myself a little bit like ready to go. And then every single time after that, it was like I was able to aim it, getting good, just that little change. And I had noticed a, a group of guys on our left who were, with, who were with us, and one of the guys was going through the same struggle, you know, throwing it against the wall, hitting the wall, falling down. And I went over to him, I was like, hey, bro, I was kind of having the same issue. Why don't you try what I did? Take a step back. Sure enough, took a step back, boom, stuck right in the wood, ready to go. We're pros out there now, right? And at the end of the night, he came up to me, he said, hey, thank you so much for that tip because it totally changed my night. I was disappointed. I was bummed. But man, that changed my whole night. Thank you so much. I want you to know that as you follow Jesus, 
as you discover more of the truth of how he's been involved in your life and saved you and redeemed you and restored you and brought you back to a place you never thought you could get to, that in spite of your past, he's had the purpose of forgiving you and freeing you day in and day out. And when you share that little, not truth, when you share, well, not tip, when you share that little truth with someone, it could change their entire life. It can change their life where they say, hey, thank you so much for that. You have no idea how much that matters. Here's why. Because not only is there a source of truth in our life, but there's also the attack of lies every single day. There's an enemy we have, and our enemy is Satan. And he is called in Scripture the father of lies. Now, Scripture could call him anything. The father of pain and suffering, the father of hurt, the father of pride, the father of this and that. But what is he called? What does he breed into our life? Lies. What is the very first thing he did in creation with Adam and Eve after they were created by God? He goes up to Eve and says, hey, did God really say that? Is that really the truth? Now, God doesn't want you to eat of that fruit because you'll be like him and he doesn't want that, as if God is some sort of selfish, prideful God that could be you know, influenced by us in a negative way. And this whole lie begins to breed inside Eve's heart of saying, well, maybe God didn't really say that, or maybe he's not as good as I thought he was if he's holding, withholding this for a selfish reason. And here we are thousands upon thousands of years later still dealing with that choice of Adam and Eve because Satan is the father of lies. Maybe he said to you in your life, did God really say that? Did God really say that he could save you? Did God really say that you were forgiven of your past? Come on, you've got some bad mistakes back there. Did God really say that he could use even you to make a difference in someone's life? Did God really say that, you, that he loves you and that he has a place for you and his family? Did God really say these true things? Come on, some of that's hard to believe sometimes. Some of it's hard to trust. And Did God really? And the thing is, he's our enemy. And I don't want to give him a foothold in my life or a stronghold in my life at all because that is what he'll use to destroy me. I wrote it down in my, in my journal this way, is that the greatest way to lose hope is to forget the truth of God's promises. The greatest way to lose hope in our life is to forget the truth of God's promises. And I promise you, every day, the enemy is trying to sabotage the way you think and the health of your spirit to distract you from the truth of Jesus in your life. Here's what scripture, I mean, don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. Here's what it says in John chapter eight. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Every single thing that is mentioned in that verse, I want nothing to do with. I don't want anything to do with it. No, again, I've told you this before. No one ever goes up to someone who wants to be their friend and say, hey, I'm a great friend because I will lie to you all the time. You'd be like, okay, see you later. I'm going to go find some better people. <laughs> and that's sometimes what we do with the enemy. And sometimes it's lies, obviously, that sound very bad that we want nothing to do with. But sometimes they're lies that have a little bit of truth in them. But it's not the full truth. It's a lie like this. The enemy loves to lie in our life and saying, yes, God loves you, so you can do whatever you want. Yes, God loves you. So it's not important. You don't have to completely surrender your life to him because he loves you no matter what. Yes, yeah, God, you know, God has said that, but he didn't mean that specifically or he didn't mean that intentionally. He had another meaning behind it. It's how lies begin to creep into our life. 
Because here's, what began, here's the temptation for us. It says this in Romans chapter 1, talking about what can happen in our life. It's that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of man who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And all they claim to be wise, they become fools. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. My hope for you today is that you would not exchange God's truth for a lie. Because you may be able to build the house big and tall, and it may seem great for a while, but that shifting sand will come back to destroy us. And I know this is a little intense. Don't worry, I'm about to lighten it up in a second. But i got to build the reality of what's at stake here for you individually, for us as a church, for our friends and our family. See, the truth of God should be so exciting to learn about and know more about because it's truth that's been downloaded to us from the creator of the universe. Shepard loves space. He absolutely loves space. He loves planets. We have space books that we read about. And I'm reading these little kid books, and I'm like, wow, God's awesome. The creativity of our God is so powerful and amazing, and he wants to speak to me, and he wants to have a relationship with me, and he has truth that I can know and access. Wow. I'm like, Shepard, isn't this great? And Shepard's like, look, Daddy. Look at the color of Saturn. I'm like, Shepard, there's way more bigger than colors in the rings of Saturn. Come on, all the science that goes behind this. Isn't this great? And he's like, no, look at these cool things. The comet's so bright. I'm like, Shepard, there's so much more depth here. I want you to know it. There's so much more truth here. The truth of God's word should be, in, be as exciting to us. The truth of life that God offers should be as exciting to us as everyone was excited the last week for this last week for like that $1.1 billion lotto that was going out there, right? I know there's some of us, myself included, who when I were like, I'll just buy one. You know, I'll buy a ticket. We'll see. Well, I could be that guy. You know, we, we're a portable church. We could use a building. Come on. I could, I could access some of that. I could, it could, today could be my day where all those numbers align, right? Well, I think for us is we got to realize that we have something way more important than financial gain from that. We have fulfillment gain in the truth of God that comes from his word and comes from the person of Jesus in our life. Because the enemy is always trying to knock us down. And I, I kind of relate it to this thing, that this trend that I've kind of been big on recently. There's this trend that's going around social media right now, inviting us to experience what's called the Mandela effect, which is this effect of like, you think something is like, you're, you're convinced something is this way, and it looks that way, and it's always looked that way, but because of popular opinion, or because of just the way you remembered it, it's actually not accurate, it's actually not true. I'll show you some examples. Here's the first one, maybe something we all, oh no, the Mandela Effect one. If you can go to that, that'd be great. Uh, the thing that maybe we grew up with, we grew up watching these. I loved these. They were super entertaining for me. So Looney Tunes and Looney Tunes, all right? So if we look at this as an example, your left is this way, your right is that way. So how many would say that the one on your left is the correct one? Okay, all right, we got, okay. Don't, hey, don't be shy. All right, you just, if you think it's that one, go ahead and raise your hand. I'll raise my hand because that's the one I think. What about the one on the right who thinks it's that one? Okay. Well, my people on the right, you would be correct, even though it makes no sense. It's cartoons, not music tunes. Come on, WB. What are you thinking there? But we remember it a different way. Think about this little beloved character that we grew up with, Curious George. I loved Curious George and the man in the yellow hat. Now, once again, who thinks the Curious George with the tail on the left is correct? All right. A few, all right, few of us, myself included. Who thinks Curious 
Curious George on the right with no tail is correct. Yeah, I don't know what happened to Curious George in his childhood, but he's got no tail, man. No tail, Curious George. Totally, totally confused me. Just so you know, I got all these wrong. And the last one, maybe a board game that caused some stress in your family, Monopoly. All right, you got the Monopoly guy. Now, the detail is maybe hard to tell, but on the left side, he's wearing a monocle. On the right side, he doesn't have one. Now, how many would say the Monopoly guy with the monocle is the correct one? Yeah. Yeah. How many would say the Monopoly guy without the monocle is the right one? Gotcha! It's without the monocle. That, that's the one. That's wrong. Finally, I, I was hoping there was one that was overwhelmingly wrong. And you guys, like me, were overwhelmingly wrong. He doesn't have a monocle. You know who does? Mr. Peanut, who looks very similar. All right? So, oh, yes. I'm, yeah, learning, yeah, learning very important truths that can affect your life today about Mr. Peanut and the Monopoly guy. But we can assume, because we've already, always assumed it looked one way, we can be totally misguided. And I want you to see that in our life, the enemy uses weapons like this as well to distract us from the truth of God. Here's the first one. Maybe you saw it earlier. The first one is relativism. Write that down. And it's the assumption that there is no such thing as absolute truth. This is a very popular statement in some camps, that there's no, nothing absolute in this life. There's no absolute truth. We can't know it. This is kind of where the agnostic, atheistic belief comes from. That'd be, okay, I can't prove it, so it's not absolutely true. I can't prove that God's real, so it's not absolutely true. I can't prove this or prove that, so it's not, but it is absolute. There is absolute truth. If I were to jump off this stage, I would be sucked down to the ground because of the absolute truth of gravity here on our planet Earth. If we were to fall down and skin our knee, there is absolute truth that we would feel pain because of the way our body processes things like cuts and bruises and things like that. It's absolutely true. There is absolute truth which is foundational for us. And it's not all relative. It's concrete. It's factual. It's true. And sometimes the enemy is going to use that to attack us, especially in the things of God. It's not absolutely true that God created the world. It's more narrative. It's more story. It's not absolutely true that Jesus lived and walked the earth. He's just an important figure. But it wasn't really him. No, it's absolutely true, both those things. Proven and factual. But I would say the second one might be a little bit more relative to us. And the second weapon of truth that the enemy uses is subjectivism. I want you to really pay attention to this definition as I read it. That I, the subject, have the right to determine what is right and wrong without submitting my judgment to authority outside myself. Just think about that one for a second. Think about this concept we've heard, and I'm not trying to offend, but I am trying to be intentional about our conversation today. Think about this popular idea, the idea of my truth. What's well, this my truth? The way I, my past, that's my truth. That's what I've experienced. No, that's your experience. It's not truth. See, the thing is that we have to realize that truth is not able to be folded and manipulated and controlled by our own opinions, by our own perspectives. It's outside ourself. And the reason I'm so, I find so much freedom in my life in the truth of Jesus is because he has authority in my life. See, you know who doesn't really experience a lot of stress right now? My son. You know why? Because he understands that at the end of the day, mom and dad have authority. In his classroom, his teacher has authority. And he just kind of accepts what we say. He understands that this is the house that you live in. This is your room. This is your bed. There's always going to be food in the fridge for you. 
We're always going to take care of you. And there's a lot of less stress because he's not trying to figure out things on his own. Now, is there health in that? Yes, of course. But there's also a lot of freedom and stress-free existence in life when we simply say, hey, God knows better than I do. God's the authority in my life. And I simply trust him. One of the biggest things, I'll just be honest with you, one of the biggest things that drives me crazy as a pastor right now is people today who are my age and younger and around my age who think that they can look at the Bible and have more of an intentional and better, and better understanding of what Jesus was saying than the people who actually walked with Jesus. Where they look at scripture and say, well, that's not really what Jesus meant. How do you know? You weren't there. These guys were actually there, and these, these scriptures and passages that we're holding on to have been subject to change and history, but still they have remained the same. When you open your Bible, it is a miracle. It has not been subject to anyone else's authority because it is God's word, and God's authority lasts. It's permanent, and that's who I surrender my life to. We also need the authority of others in our life to speak into our life to say, hey, you don't see what's happening here, but I do because I've been there and I want to help you. Hey, I know you're throwing the axe at the wall and it's just clanking off every time, but believe me, I was just there a few minutes ago and if you take a step back, maybe something else could change. Maybe something else could happen. That is what the church exists for and community exists for. To look at your life and say, hey, I've been there. Let me help you out a little bit. Authority is actually a very powerful thing. Has it been used and abused? Oh yeah, but that doesn't mean we throw it out. Because truth is not relative, it's not subjective, it's factual and concrete, and it's found in God. As we begin to kind of finish up, I want to give you this example here. If you think about it this way, I know a lot of us, you know, we're coffee drinkers here. So I have this glass that's full of coffee. And we need it, some of us, we need it in the morning. I was, I was out greeting, and someone walked in today, and they were like, that, I need that, just one second. Okay, like that, I need that. I'm like, okay, I get it. Me too, I've already had some. I've already had, we need it. Like, we're not fully woken up until we've had that cup of coffee, the caffeine. Like, I'm not allowed to, the funny thing is, I'm not allowed to, like, provide the coffee anymore for, like, church events, because I'm kind of boring when it comes to coffee. I don't need any cream, any sugar. It's just, like, black. Let me pour it in. Let's go. All right? And I've, it took a few events, but finally, some of the people on our team were like, hey, uh, where's the coffee and, or where's the cream and sugar? What? Who needs that? And they're like, uh, we do. Oh, okay, we need the flavored, you know, the hazelnut, the French vanilla. We need all that. Okay, fine, that's fine. Uh, just you guys get it now. But here's the thing. We drink it because of taste and the way it picks us up and influences us, the caffeine it drives our system with. But here's why the idea of subjectivism and relating it to my truth is so dangerous for you and I. Now, let's think of it this way. The truth of God's word has power to inspire, to influence us. And, and it's, so, it's much more stronger when you take it in its rawest form, the words on the page and what God has commanded us and said in our life. But when I begin to introduce, again, the my truth of my life, not that they're not real. Can I take a second and tell you, I'm not saying your hurts and pains and past are not real, but I am saying they're not more powerful than the truth, and that's very freeing. And so when you take your truth of things that you've walked through, it's kind of like having this glass already full of water and then pouring the coffee in and expecting it to be as influenced as possible. It's not as strong anymore. It's watered down. It's not as strong. It may even seem the same, but it's watered down. And then we discover 
the truth of Jesus, but we stop living it and we just pour more of our truth into it. And it gets less and less watered down. And I'm not going to even drink this because it's going to taste terrible. But this may look like the truth, but now it's been so watered down. It's not hot anymore. It's not as, it's not as, it doesn't have the influence that it once had for us anymore. And the thing is, is that's what happens when we begin to instill our truth into God's truth rather than the other, rather than saying, you know what? I'm just an empty vessel, God. I've poured all of those things out. You've forgiven me of my past. You've forgiven me of my mistakes. I'm pouring out all my understanding. I'm pouring out all my, my pride. And I'm just coming to you as a humble person, open and saying, just pour everything that you have into me. Pour your truth into me. Pour the things that you have for me. And it's way more stronger. It's not watered down. And when you, mm, oh, so much better. I don't even want to taste that other glass. And that's what happens in our life. We begin to not be as influential and as cataclysmic as we once were able to be. We just become like everything else. We become watered down. We become watered down to the point of where it's not even what it once was. So let me give you some understanding like, about truth is that, again, I think we can lean it all in. That's what this whole Colossians talks were about, that Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the authority. So as we begin to finish, let me give you the two, the two options we have when it comes to the truth that is found in Jesus. The first thing, this is a harsh one to understand, but the first one is that, hey, this is your first option, that Jesus is a liar and a lunatic. And like, whoa, Pastor Ryan, take a, take a deep breath, man. I know this is intense, but what are you talking about? I would never say that about Jesus. I know, but our life may say it about him. In the sense of that, some people approach Jesus as a good moral teacher, a very important figure in history. But I would never say, I would never want a good teacher in my life who is a liar. What did Jesus say? He said he was the son of God. Doesn't sound, I mean, I, if, I don't, if I don't surrender my life to that, then I'm just calling him a liar. Jesus said that he was the only way to God, that no one else can come to the Father except through me. But if we say that it's just all you know, it's all, it's all relative, it's all the same, then we're calling Jesus a liar. Then we go deeper and begin to call him a lunatic because he did say that he was going to die and raise again from the dead in three days. Tear this temple down, I'll rebuild it in three days. We look, ah, I don't know. Then we're calling him a lunatic. That who is this guy to say he's the son of God, that he's going to conquer death? Here's the truth. If Jesus did all that, he is worthy of my praise. He is worthy of my surrender. He is worthy of giving him authority in my life because he was the embodiment of the person of God here on this earth. And he served people and cared for them, rose them from the dead, made the blind see, fed people and invited them into relationship with God. And then he went a step further and gave his life for them and conquered death and grave and walked out alive so that when I lift my hands and sing, Lord, send revival today, I'm not doing a religious expression. I'm lifting up praise to a real person who is not a liar or a lunatic. He is the Lord and he is the truth in my life. Come on, if you're thankful for that, let's give a shout of praise today because that's what Jesus deserves. I'm telling you, I'm just going to be honest with you, local city church. It's the most freeing thing I say every morning. Jesus, you're God and I'm not. Whew. I'm so glad I don't have to figure these things out. I'm so glad I have someone I can turn to who's bigger than everything else that I'm facing. Because if I want to bring the truth of Jesus down to my level, to a place where I can understand it, to where it's comfortable for me, then how is it going to have power over the things that are in front of me? 
the reason the truth of Jesus is so powerful is because yes, it's simple, but also because it's bigger than I can comprehend. And if it's bigger than I can comprehend, it means it has a step above, it has more power over the things in front of me that I can comprehend. If I begin to water down the truth of Jesus to a place that is comfortable for me, then you know what else is gonna be comfortable to live in my life? The pain, the doubt, the hurt, and the fears, and the insecurities, and the anxieties, and the stresses. But if I say every morning, Jesus, you're Lord, and you're the truth, not what people have said about me, not my past, not my mistakes, you're Lord, and what you say is true, and I'm just gonna believe that. So here's a quote from C.S. Lewis that I really have loved ever since I read it in Mere Christianity years ago. He's talking about Jesus here. He says, either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. This only works when we're all in. And God will be patient with you. If you have questions and doubts, man, this is the place to figure them out. This is the place to ask them. I'll meet with anyone in our church because I love having conversations about God and about the things that we believe because I'm confident in them. Because again, I haven't left it open to debate anymore. Because Jesus is alive. He's conquered sin and death. And I know my place in his family. And I know the relationship I have with him. And I accept it simply because it's true. And I've understood this in my life. If you can write this down for me as we close, it's that truth is not just a what, but a who. We say it this way a lot. Hope has a name and that name is Jesus. If it has a name, it means I can know it. If it's a who, it means I can have a relationship with it. It's deeper than the right answer on a test. It's truth that wants to be involved in my life. It's truth that doesn't just want me to know all the right answers, but it wants me to know a person who's my very best friend. I want you to know this, that there's nothing about memorization or any of this that saved me. It helps and it adds value and it strengthens me. But the only thing that saved me was the truth found in the person of Jesus. That's why in John 14, six, Jesus says this, I'm the way and the truth and the life. Me, it's not a secret. I'm telling you the answer to the test right here. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. There's no other door. There's no other way. Once you step through that door though, man, it opens up to a fulfilling free life that you never thought possible. But here's the thing, if you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. You wanna know who God is? Know Jesus. Because from now on, you do know him and you've seen him. Jesus is saying it's not a secret. You don't have to figure this out for yourself anymore. Would you just slow down and understand I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. He didn't say I am a way, a truth, a life. The way, the life, the truth. And I just want you to be confident of that today. Because the more we begin to constrict ourselves and restrict ourselves, we forget this last truth is that since Jesus is the truth, he can and will set you free. He can and will set you free. I'm gonna close with this little illustration that maybe you've heard about. When they're raising, when they bring elephants from the wild and they raise them in captivity, one of the things that the trainers do is they nail an anchor point into the ground. 
And as at a very young age, they tie a chain or a rope to the elephant's foot, and the rope only has so much give. And while the elephant's growing up, he'll run and realize he's caught and can't get out of this certain sphere, this certain radius, and he's chained. And at some point, as they grow up, they get accustomed to it, they get comfortable with it. And all the trainer has to do is remove that chain from his foot, but he'll still only go so far away. He'll still only move in this small circle because the elephant has believed a lie. The elephant has believed something that isn't true about him anymore. And not only is it a chain that he could probably break with his physical strength, it says the chain doesn't even exist anymore. It's become a mental prison and a spiritual prison for him. I want you to know today that maybe the enemy's put some chains in your life. But at some point you gotta realize Jesus took those chains off. And you have to live like he's taken those chains off. Now we love to talk about the chains of depression and fear and addiction and loneliness. Those are the popular ones to talk about because they hurt. But he's also freed you from the chain of always having to understand everything. He's also freed you from the chain of being in control. He's also freed you from the chain of realizing that I don't have the power to influence my life and the things that really move my life forward. But it's already been given to me because of Jesus. I'm already free because of it. Because Jesus is the truth. And he can and he will set you free. And it's the only Mandela effect that will never impact you. You'll never get, oh, I thought Jesus was, no, no, he's always been that way. He's always been forgiving. He's always been freeing. He's always been the son of God. He's always conquered the grave for you so that you can have a place in his family. That's the truth. And that's why it matters. That is what we're here for as local city church, to help you know the truth and so that the truth will set you free to live as the son and daughter you've been created to live as. And if you're thankful for that, and if that encourages you and helps you local city church today, come on, can we stand to our feet and give God a shout of praise today? We're so thankful for that. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Would you close your eyes with me?